and welcome to Disrupt TV. We're here today live uh, talking together with my co-host, Cindy Zhou. She's the CMO of Level Access, former Constellation analyst, CMO startup extraordinaire, and more importantly, um, she is here as our special guest and also co-host, uh, given that Bala Ashar is away today for this live show. This is episode number 162, and we're very excited. We've got some special guests here, uh, and these special guests are going to be talking about anything from new business strategy to what's actually happening in the field and, of course, what's happening uh, in the real world uh, from a marketing perspective. Um, I'm Ray Wong, uh, co-host of the show and uh, the CEO and founder of Constellation. So let's start with our first guests. Our first guests are professors and authors, Nikolaj Segelko and Christian Terswich. Uh, they are both, well, they're, they're professors in the management department in the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania uh, and a former department chair. Um, Nikolaj is the David Knott Professor um, and Christian is the Andrew M. Heller Professor in the Operations, Information and Decision Department at the Wharton School and also serves on the faculty of Penn's Perlman School of Medicine. So we're getting interconnected, interdisciplinary fields in one spot. Uh, they're the co-authors of this book uh, that was published May 19th by Harvard Business Review Press called Connected Strategy. We're going to be going deeper into that. And they have won more than 50 teaching awards in their MBA and executive education programs at Wharton. They're also both co-directors of the world-famous Mac Institute for Innovation at Wharton. Uh, and they reach... Um, they do these big MOOCs, uh, massive open online courses in business on Coursera and edX, and even host a radio show on Wharton's Sirius XM channel. If you've never heard that, it's an amazing channel with lots of insights, uh, and the research has also appeared in Management Science, the Strategic Management Journal, Administrative Science Quarterly, and the New England Journal of Medicine. They've also conduct, consulted for more than 100 different organizations from small startups to Fortune 500 companies. You can follow them on Twitter at N-I-C-S-I-G-G-E-I-K-E-L-K-O-W and T-E-R-W-I-E-S-C-H. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Ray. Thank yeah, you. What an introduction. I like to show. I'm trying. It's not Sirius XM, but it's good enough. No, but we are coast to coast now across uh, the, the country on different radio stations. So yeah, so let's start. Yeah, sounds good. Well, first of all, I, I just want to say what an honor it is to have you both on the show and uh, particularly congratulations on the book too. I can't, I personally can't wait for our audience to learn more about it. And so first of all, you know, Nicola and Christian, what, tell us about the, the process of writing the book. You know, what was, what was the really big problem you were trying to address with this book, Connected Strategy? So he's handing it over to me because it's one of the tough questions here. So <laughs> and I started, of all places, we started 22 years ago, we started together as Warden faculty, me and the strategy team, I know as an operations person. And as you mentioned in your introduction, Ray, we've been working on the Mac Institute, looking at technology, looking at innovation. And, and one theme that we found kind of bubbling up in really a number of industries is that uh, technology changes the way that customers and firms interact. Right. So if you think about the old days, customer would come to the firm, firm would do a good job right. serving the customer with a product or a service, and then they would part ways. In the healthcare setting, for example, a patient gets sick, goes to the doctor, the doctor or the patient is in the hospital, doctors and nurses do everything possible to take care of that patient, and then the patient leaves and they, they kind of are disconnected. And now through technology, if you think about wearables, if you think about sensors, if you think about face recognition or other things, it is possible to form connections between customer and firm 
that are basically continuous in nature, moving this what once was a one-time episode to a continuous data exchange. And that sets up enormous opportunities for rethinking customer relationships and serving customers better and hopefully also reducing the fulfillment costs. Yeah, you know, that's actually very interesting. Those digital feedback loops that are actually being created here. Yeah. Um, and so how does the connectivity change the frequency and quality of interactions? Because in your book, right, you talk about the fact that in some businesses, you only talk to someone once, right? Maybe once a year on an order, that's very, very different as opposed to something that's super frequent, but frequency and quality of interactions, you know, might impact the way you engage in customers and also create those feedback loops and those sensing signals in a connected strategy. Yes, no, absolutely. I think that's kind of the big change in technology, right? That we are now able to have this more continuous relationship where we're getting this information from our customers so we can not just wait for the customer to come to us, but potentially anticipate the needs that the customer might have and maybe anticipate the needs even before the customer is aware of that need, right? Uh, so coming back to the healthcare example, quite often people are not aware of their needs, right? Uh, if I'm lying down on the floor with a heart attack, that is a bad time to become aware of my need, right? Of, of needing but, but that's, a, that's a big demand signal though. <laughs> but, that is exactly how the system is currently working and that's clearly very inefficient, right? And so uh, that again, so as Christian just mentioned that briefly, I think it's one thing that really made us excited about these connected strategies that it might actually allow us to create better customer experiences or better patient experiences while at the same time reducing cost. Right, so not am I as a patient better off if I don't have a heart attack, but our whole healthcare system is better off if I don't have a heart attack, right? And so um, kind of it's that dual purpose of connected strategies that's I think quite exciting, but at the same time also quite disruptive to, to industries. Absolutely, so since we're talking about that, can you help our audience understand exactly what is connected strategy? Sure, so it's, kind of fundamentally reshaping the way a firm is interacting with their customers, right? Sort of from few episodic interactions to having a much more continuous relationship where in part we are reducing the frictions uh, so that it's much easier for you to connect with me or to interact with me as a company, while at the same time us being able kind of to what we would call go further back potentially in the customer journey that you have with us, right? So we're not just waiting for you to come to us with a particular need, but I can maybe help you become aware of your need. I might be able to help you understand what all the options are out there for you to fulfill that particular need, to decide what is the best option, make it easier for you to order it, make it easier for you to get it. But all of those elements, we can now kind of hopefully reduce the frictions in uh, kind of to have, for you to have a better experience uh, with me as a company. And we really yeah, see this in a number of industries, right? I mean, this is, I gave you the healthcare example earlier on where now in the days of the Apple Watch or other wearables or kind of uh, sensor devices, medical devices, we are basically feeding the healthcare system data all the time. You see it in insurances where either our mobile devices or potentially even our cars are connected to the insurance improving underwriting decisions. You see it in banking. You see it in sports products. If you think about the Nike smart running shoe again, uh, you hear lots of companies using the word connected as, as a buzzword to signal the next big change in how they interact with customers. This is interesting, right? I mean, we're yeah. talking about these data-driven digital strategies, right? These data-driven networks are basically creating the sensing signals to actually come up uh, and then help create you know, signals or input without actually you having to do anything. Right, it's, it's all ambient, it's all sitting in the background. So this is very, very interesting. So are there specific design points 
uh, for building these types of feedback loops in a connected strategy? Does it change in types of industries or change in types of different business models? Well, so you're talking about these feedback loops, right? And I think that those are very, very important and actually quite difficult. Right? So it is, it is one thing to say, well, I'm collecting all of this data. Uh, so the next step is, though, what to do with that data, right? And I think a lot of companies are currently stuck at exactly that point because the cost of data collection has come down a lot. Yep. Right? We have all these sensors and all of that. So I can now know any click you've ever done on my website. But then what, right? So now I have all of this data. How does this actually help me to create a better relationship, right? And so this is, I think, where some really in-depth understanding of the pain points and sort of the value drivers of customers becomes very important so we actually know what kind of data helps us now to really improve the experience that you have with me and how do i do this continuously over time so i actually have a feedback loop the way you describe it so i'm drowning in data yet i have no insights and i don't know what the next best action is right that that's the situation where a lot of folks are in is that what you're saying yes yeah absolutely we think about that feedback loop that we've been talking about a couple of times now this is kind of it's a recognize there's a request respond, repeat, right? So at some point, either you, the customer, or I, as a firm serving, you have to recognize you have an unfulfilled need. You have to figure out what exactly is it that you're asking so that I can uh, form this into a request. I have to provide you the request. I have to respond to you, recognize, request, respond. And then this is not a one-time thing. We have to do this over time continuously. That's where the repeat comes in. Uh, but we yeah. also need context and attribution, right? I mean, the context then helps you to figure out what's next, right? Is it a location? Is it a time? Do I feel well? What's my, you know, what's my heart rate, right? That might dictate what that next best action is. And then sometimes, right, choices come into play, right? You assign probabilities on the choices. And every time you choose one, it creates a feedback loop to say, oh, that 90% probability was actually wrong. It's actually 70%. Uh, or let's try a wild card and do an A-B test just to see what might happen. Right? I mean, this is getting very, very complicated. Well, that's at the heart of the repeat loop, is really being smart about tracking the customer over time. And then let's not kid ourselves. I mean, we all have been to the doctor's office and have filled out <laughs> a survey that we go like, I filled out this stupid questionnaire about allergies yeah. a million times before. <laughs> so really recognizing it is you, Ray, is, is, is that's already a first step. But as you say, it's not just about recognizing you. You mentioned a very important thing that is the context. You as a business traveler is different from you as a traveler with your family. And so there's oh, yeah. a context piece to that. And so as you think about repeat, as we try to be smart about serving a customer, as we try to be smart about customizing, we have to learn about these things. And again, as you mentioned, A-B testing and predictive analytics play a huge part of yeah, and uh, let me just bring up something real quick too. I could not agree more with what the both of you are talking about with understanding the customer more. I think that is definitely something that's sorely lacking in a lot of businesses. Everyone is saying we're customer centric, but in reality, it is still a handoff process from department to department. And there is a lot of friction in the middle of that. But something that you brought up is very interesting. You know, you talk about IoT, you talk about the connected devices and all these good things. The, the, what about the element of privacy? That is such a huge component right now, right? Customers want convenience. They want that frictionless experience. But on the other hand, they're like, don't touch my data. I don't want you to know that much about me. So how do you balance that? Yeah, and I think that's where it becomes, again, very, very important to understand the particular pain points that we want to solve because then we can ask the customer for a particular piece of data that will help us solve that particular pain point. 
rather than just let me collect all the data that I can and then I have no idea what to do with it. And well, I guess I might as well resell it to someone else, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I think the way this will work in the longer run is we need to build up that trust, right? Between me, the company and you, the consumer. And the way this will probably work is that you give me a certain set of information and I will really show you how to make your life better, right? And once mm -hmm. you have seen, wow, I've given you this piece of information, right? Amazon, you asked me for my credit card information and I gave it to you. And in response, you gave me a button that I can click and with one click, I'm done. So, oh, wow, actually that made my life better. Okay, I see kind of that value proposition. I give you some of my data, you made my life better. Okay, what more data do you want, right? And I think that is kind of the, the process eventually, you know, companies will have to go through kind of to justify why am I asking you this data and can I really show the value back to the customer or the patient or whoever it is, right, that I really made their life better with that data. Yeah, so yeah, you're saying if there's, really. there's no value exchange, it's not going to happen. And, and people are willing to trade enough privacy for convenience or privacy for level security or privacy for a value exchange that, you know, privacy for status in some cases. Yeah, and there's enormous value to be captured here, right? Because once you are in that relationship that through iteration, you have formed the trust, you have earned the trust as a firm, the consumer will open up and let you deal with much broader and bigger problems of their life. You're no longer just selling a running shoe. You're selling me health and athletics, right? You're no longer just providing me uh, a dental appointment. You're taking care of my oral health, right? I'm entrusting you with a much bigger problem. And at that level, you don't have to compete for every transaction. And you can do a much better job of serving me in the smartest way as opposed to in just the way that I'm asking you to serve me right now. No, that makes a lot of sense. So do customers yeah. care? Do they even recognize that this is happening to them? Do they even ask for this? Um, or is it more like the companies that are selling, uh, you know, the brands and the enterprises are, are, are pushing this? I think they absolutely do, right? And I think, you know, call it to a certain extent, the Amazon or the Netflix effect, right? Kind of all of a sudden, right? These companies learn more and more about me and they're starting to custom tailor their experience to me. And all of a sudden my expectation is rising that, well, shouldn't everyone treat me that way, right? When I'm checking into a hotel, why don't they know I have been here? When I check into my doctor's office, you know, why is it that Amazon and Apple knows more about me than my healthcare provider? Why right? that doesn't seem to be right, right? Uh, when our students come to, to, uh, to Wharton, right? And saying, okay, you know, what is my individualized learning experience going to look like, right? I mean, that's the expectation. And so, you know, I think customers very much realize that is kind of the way it's going. And I think that's the challenge that all organizations, I think, are currently facing, kind of how to keep up with those rising expectations about more individualized, less frictionless interactions with organizations and companies. You know, this is so fascinating to me because I, I deal a lot with, on the marketer side, this kind of privacy component. And it is true. It's the tell me what's in it for me. I think that that is sorely missing. And today, it's the company just collecting data almost for the sake of collecting data. But if you really outline for the customer saying this is what the data will be used for and here's how it's going to help you, I think that that is definitely the, the, the missing gap. But, you know, you, you know, you both know this too. For companies to invest in this, there has to be an ROI or a revenue model where they can actually tie this back to benefit to the company. What would be your advice on, you know, is, have you explored like a revenue model for this to kind of help companies crystallize this and, and actionize on it? So the first thing is indeed, as you say, we're creating value here, right? Because we're shifting the curve 
we're creating more willingness to pay and we're potentially lowering the fulfillment cost. So fulfillment cost is the first part where we as a firm potentially can cash in and get an ROI. If it costs us less to serve you, there's money at the table. However, I like your question, and that's where well, we have dedicated an entire chapter to that question in our strategies, is a revenue story, right? What is the revenue model? If you think about most products or services, we are on a basic transaction basis. There's a sticker price, I sell you a toothbrush, I sell you a car, and that's the deal, right? And the, on that you're competing against other, and it doesn't offer a lot of opportunity for customizing and segmentation. If you think about that product more as a service, which has been a big trend in many industries for the last 10, 15 years, product as a service is more of a subscription model. You can get into other ways of pricing where you start pricing by use, you price by performance, you price by location. You know, now that you are connected, you can, and I'm not saying this was a negative intent here, you can price discriminate so much better that it is in the interest of both the customer as well as for the firm. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to find different levels of inelasticity in pricing because of this, right? And, and to me, that, that's actually very interesting. Um, is that one of the reasons why this connected strategy is fundamentally more different uh, than the traditional relationship between customers and company? Well, I'm not quite sure whether it's fundamentally different, right? I think whenever you had better information about a customer, you can custom tailor things, including pricing. Uh, but I think what, what new technologies allow us to do is, for instance, to have much more microtransactions, right? If I had to send you a check you know, for every mile that I run on my Nike shoes, right? That would be not a very efficient way of interacting. Hey, pay, pay for use, pay for use. But now I can do it, right? Now I can do it because I don't have to send you a check anymore, right? A subscription model. Because I'm, I'm on, on kilometers traveled. My cell, phone and my cell phone has my credit card on it and I can send you, right, five cents every time I use it, right? So indeed, it's. I think these technological improvements have now opened up a wider array of revenue models that previously were possible. It's amazing. We're getting the unit cost billing, unit cost pricing, price per use, pay per use, right? Uh, all because data is actually being shared and, and reshared and, and people are learning from that. Uh, yeah. You can actually predict demand and predict uh, what's happening on the supply side. Wow. So if you're listening in, we are here with Nikolaj uh, Siglo and uh, Christian Cherwish, professors and authors at the University of Pennsylvania. We're talking about their new book, Connected Strategy, something you can pick up, uh, published by the Harvard Business Review Press. And uh, more importantly, you can follow them on Twitter at N-I-C-S-I-G-G-E-L-K-O-W and T-E-R-W-I-E-S-C-H. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks a lot, Sharon, for your insights. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. Can I, can I send you a copy of the book for you both to sign? Because I love, I'd love to add you to my <laughs> bookshelf here. Yes. It would be an honor. Thank you. Awesome. Thank awesome you. brains. Awesome folks. And we're going to move on to our next guest. Thank you so much. This is amazing. Uh, definitely a very interesting strategy, especially in our digital world. And Cindy, I mean, it's can you imagine these marketing implications here, especially for like chief digital officers? Oh my goodness! Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, he he gave me some inspiration on that for just actionalizing it in in company. So it was a fantastic interview. All right. Well, our next guest probably doesn't need an introduction, but it's Sean Mandel, the chief. Digital One of our faves <laughs> from Cineplex. Sean joins. Sean joined Cineplex in 2019 as the company's chief digital and technology officer, one of the country's most respected tech executives. Uh, he's talking about Canada, but he's one of North America's most respected tech executives. Uh, he's been sharing 
a lot of experiences in terms of building agile teams, doing digital transformation on the ground. I've even been to his labs at his previous company and building a corporate culture and guest experience unparalleled to others. Um, he's been, he's, in this role, he's driving the company's digital strategies, the IT strategies, building innovation across its entire ecosystem and business. And more importantly, he's been there to make sure that more than 70 million Canadians who visit Cineplex and Americans Ooh. do every year uh, enjoy unparalleled entertainment experiences supported through the use of the latest technology. So Sean was previous at TELUS where he was the company's chief digital officer uh, and also he's got a lot of very interesting accomplishments. I'm going to leave those for other people to read. Uh, but more importantly, he's on the Digital Transformation Committee of the Board of Directors for TO Live and volunteers this time as a mentor at Techstars Toronto Accelerated, which if you haven't been to, you've got to go. That is like one of the hubs for startup innovation in Canada. Yeah. You can follow him at Sean Mandel, S-H-A-W-N-M-A-N-D-E-L-09. Sean, welcome to the show. Great to see you, Ray. Hi, Cindy. How are you? Sean, you're definitely one of our favorite guests, and what a transformational CDO you've been. So this is a big move. You were at TELUS for a long time, so you got to tell us about the new role. You know, why'd you make the change? What are you hoping to accomplish? We want to learn more. Yeah, listen, hey, you know, I spent 11 amazing years at TELUS, and I have spent quite a long time in the telecommunications industry, and, and as you guys know, um, that that industry offers so many different opportunities, right? They're heavily in the digital, they're big ICT communications companies. Some of these companies own healthcare businesses, own you know, content companies. Um, and just the wealth of experience you get from working inside of that environment has done very well for me. But at some times you kind of get itching for a change. Uh, and I got a great opportunity thrown at me. I, I work in a hundred year old theater business who is aggressively trying to diversify itself. And it's kind of quite rare um, you get handed an opportunity to lead a transformation of such an iconic Canadian brand um, that has such great brand resonance and, and such familiarity with the population. And when you start to unpack um, the various industries that we play in when it comes to media, we're bringing Top Golf to Canada. We're in the wow. business. Top Golf. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. The biggest, biggest theater company in the country. You just start to get the yeah. reality that, you know, it's very rare that a company crosses seven or eight different industries. We're like Canada's one of Canada's largest food and beverage companies. So when you start to stack it all up, it's kind of, you know, a very rare opportunity that I couldn't let pass me. Wow. That is just exciting. Hey, That's you were last time in August. Uh, so August 18th, and congratulations on also being on our Business Transformation 150 list uh, of top business transformation executives. So look, you're like not a first time chief digital officer. You've been through this rodeo. You know exactly what the challenges are. You know, can you share like lessons learned and best practices that you're bringing with you? Because a lot of folks at first, right, you know, they don't know what it means a chief digital officer, let alone their organizations aren't even ready for a chief digital officer. Tell me about what's going on with you. Yeah, listen, it's an, it's an interesting experience, right? I just spent the last, you know, good seven years or so climbing Mount Everest about 17 times, and now I'm back at base camp, right? So, um, you know, <laughs> I'm in the store, I'm buying my backpack, and I'm getting my team ready to go for a climb. Um, and so, as you know, Ray and Cindy, that, that's quite a complicated task and has lots of layers of different types of complexity to it, you know? The, the D-clips are not enough? <laughs> no, not at all. You need a lot more than that. And, and, the, and the simple reality is you can't re-engineer um, the technology and the digital capabilities of any business without very much spending a lot of time understanding vision, mission, and outcomes, you know, looking at, you know, the customer journey, looking at culture, talent, ways of working. So I, I won't, I'll spare you all the details, guys, but I got about a 20-pronged transformation plan that I'm executing 
one day at a time. Uh, and the reality is culture and behavioral change at scale, we're 13 and a half thousand people, takes time. So you can only kind of push so much change at once and you need to be mindful that, you know, it's a crawl, walk, run type exercise. And yes, you want to do things and get mature and advanced, but sometimes you got to focus on like that food, shelter, water and doing the basics brilliantly before you kind of earn the right to do more sophisticated things. No, that's a very humble approach. And, and, and you're right. A yeah. lot of times, some people only want to do one climb. Other people are in it for multiple climbs. And, and I think people are going to learn that along the way. Uh, or, or even why are we climbing? So, so good point. Yeah, I was, I've been watching a lot of movies. So I've been working on my movie analogies. And I was watching a movie the other day. It was great. And this great quote really resonated with me in the sense that, you know, it's not about the destination. It's about the lessons you learn and the people you meet yeah. along the way. Um, right. And, and for us, like, there's no such thing as done. There's this just perpetual state of change. And I think that's what I think going through this process before has really lended to me well as we approach the journey ahead. Yeah, Sean, for sure. You are a change agent. You know, this is something where you bring a, a new energy and a strategy to the company. Let's talk a little about the role of the chief digital officer. You know, there's been a, hey, this is sort of a new title new function to now I do feel like the role has started to mature and people are starting to understand it more but can you talk about that evolution and you know what do you think are the most key important elements to, to this job yeah and I, I think the answer to that and obviously the scope of the role depends on the company the industry and the context of any organization what I'm observing and, and what I'm seeing in terms of trends is the product officer digital officer data officer CIO, CTO are very much blending. Um, and it's kind of weird for me maybe to say this and you know, don't hold it too much against me because I'm still thinking through this statement is that I actually might think the CDO idea goes away over time. Oh, yeah. and, and, and it becomes far more CTIO uh, type focus and our chief technical and information officers need to become far more digitally oriented. So I might believe that like the CDO moniker is a bit of a fad that might pass us in the next five or 10 years as companies cycle through um, this pace of change that we're going through right now. And so, but we're seeing multiple disciplines colliding. So the scope of my role um, as designed is quite comprehensive. So we're looking at data, we're looking at product, we're looking at digital, and we're also running like core IT. And so we believe the combination of those capabilities together essentially gives us the, key to the keys to the car to actually drive meaningful change versus creating too many dependencies on other parts of the organization. What about marketing, Sean? How, how closely do you collaborate with marketing, particularly the industry that Cineplex is in? You know, how, how closely is that relation? How close is that relationship? Yeah, and we've always talked traditionally where like the CDO or that digital role sits very much between marketing and IT, right? And kind of northbound into marketing, southbound into IT. I think in the way we've constructed the role over here, we're very much creating the capabilities to allow marketing to activate the outcomes that they want to deliver. So our partnership with marketing is, is extremely close. And again, it's early days. I've been in the role for four months. But if I fast forward the record based on the experiences I've had in the past, the goal is to create this like blended type team environment. This isn't about digital versus marketing versus product versus IT. Yeah. It's about like one team with one dream. Um, and creating integrated teams or integrated squads, depending on the vernacular you might use internally, that are chasing common outcomes. So I'm, I don't really care what department you're in. We all kind of work for the customer, if you know what I mean. Oh, music Love to that. my ears. I'm, I'm nodding my head big time. Um, about, mm -hmm. I want to say like almost about 10 years ago, 
uh, I think it was about 10 years ago, Esteban Kolsky and I were on stage in Italy and we were given this task to talk about the CIO versus the CMO. And we coined this term around the chief digital officer, but we also pointed out in 10 years that the CDO role might go away, right? Like finance folks would become digitally enabled, thinking about business models, marketing folks would get more oriented around technology, CIO folks would get more oriented on design and thinking, and we're starting to see that convergence. So it's awesome to hear you talk about that. So. Um, so you kind so of hey. want to manage yourself to a relevancy, right, Ray? Like the, 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 there's a lot of digital natives or companies that have evolved to digital that don't necessarily have a CDO. And to be honest with you, right. um, shouldn't because as you raise the acumen of the organization, everybody should have these skills. So what we're trying to do um, is distribute these skills as broadly in the company as we can. Uh, we might need to bring them together first to kind of incubate them before we push them um, you know, to the edges of every part of the company, but that's really the objective is to not necessarily need to exist. Yeah, no, this digital proficiency is kind of kind of cool. So, and, and I think everyone's got to start picking up some of that skill sets, you know, whether it's uh, digital technologies, data skills, but speaking about exponential technologies, let's say I walk into Toronto after dark, show up at the Scotiabank flagship theater that might go away, I hope it's gonna stick around, get my IMAX thing, right? What new exponential technologies are you, gonna, are you most excited about? Like what's gonna change with movie going? Like are we gonna see like AR, VR headsets with the movie at the same time? Like how does IoT, 5G, AI, all these other kind of cool technology change that experience from just thinking about seeing a movie to actually leaving that theater and coming back again? Have you ever been to a D-Box experience, Ray, where you actually sat down and kind of in this chair and you kind of have the water hitting you, the chair is shaking and you're very much immersed it's, in the experience? It's awesome. The wind flies in, the scents yeah. come in. I mean, yeah. that, that is amazing. Oh, and all have, your haptics, have, imagine the haptics on the bodysuit. They have these 440X or these 270 degree screens when you see Aquaman and kind of the, basically yeah. the entire movie like morphs along the entire side of you. So what you're seeing is a lot more immersive and connected experiences and you're seeing a lot more investment and in augmented and virtual reality. So we have a stake in, in, in a virtual reality company and there are some investments to understand what the blend between physical and digital starts to look like in the traditional sense. But as you overlay augmented and virtual reality, you know, the, the opportunities are still undetermined yet, right? But as you mentioned, all these IoT, all this stuff around machine learning, all of those things are very much permeating the industry. I'd say the industry is a bit behind um, some others, which gives us a great opportunity to, you know, learn from a bunch of mistakes others have made when it's come to embracing more modern technology and how it pushes our industry and the guest experience forward. Well, it's like, I'm thinking like, maybe I'll have Cineplex at home, right? I get the haptic suit, I get the whole Oculus, right? I'm sitting there, it's a live showing, like when you do launch, everyone's all part of it, right? You know, I mean, there's there's more like live events. I, I'm like, maybe there's like e-games and e-sports that, that pick up, you know, because you can take the brand further with those type of experiences. So I know you probably can't say too much, so I'm just saying. No, no, I don't, I don't mind at all. Speaking, hang on, right? And, we have, and what we've done with our set of assets is very interesting and unique compared to others. So we own a concept in Canada called the Rec Room. Uh, we own a top golf facilities that we're starting to bring to the country. We obviously have the in-theater experience. You're starting to see this kind of blended journey across all of these assets. We also sit on something called Scene, and, and we're a joint venture in the Scene Loyalty Program, which just crossed the 10 million member mark. So when you think about wow. the data, you think about the play around loyalty and how to integrate all of these pieces together. You know, that's that's the riddle of the day, Ray. Um, and, you know, we're figuring it more, more out every day. And it's the outcomes are becoming clearer. The path to that outcome is still a bit fuzzy. 
Well, I'm saying that only because you have all those cool arcades and entertainment f facilities. I mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty wild, right? I mean, and, and, and you guys have been putting like these Dolby Atmos Ultra AVX auditoriums everywhere. So, so that to me is kind of pretty wild. So. Yeah, well, so much change, right? And so much cool innovation, all the stuff that you look like you have great ideas. John, but how does that change business models? Are you looking at subscription type services now or tell, tell us, I don't know if you can share any, but if you can share some of that with us, what, what kind of new business models are you looking at to go in, in conjunction? Yeah, it, it's been historically a very transactional based type business. When you mm. think about even what we do with the Cineplex store, which is very akin to an Apple store or Google store to buy content, it's all very TVOD transactional oriented. And yes, everybody's looking at this shift towards what is like a monthly reoccurring charge type business look like. And so it's no secret that this is quite popular with some of the theater goers in the US and in the UK and across Europe. And it's something that we're looking at in terms of like, does this make sense as a value proposition to take to market from a guest experience, from an economics perspective? So yeah, like there is going to be some innovation in the business model, but for us, we're just, we're sitting on a boatload of opportunity to really start doing some of the basics in a, in a very brilliant way. It's really starting to extract a value out of a bunch of existing businesses that are ripe of opportunities. So we're trying to balance this, you know, the fun stuff that Ray describes with also some of the basics that we need to focus on. So I think that's the big challenge is how much do you drive to be innovative versus how much do you focus on, on doing the basics right? And that's the constant balance we're going to have to deal with over the next little while. Yeah, sorry, you got to work on the new ERP or POS system. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, you the that. membership subscriptions. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but it is the basics, right? There's blocking and tackling that people have to do. Like POS integration is a nightmare wherever you go, right? Uh, and then getting customer loyalty is also a basic blocking and tackling that everyone usually typically has to jump into, uh, which isn't easy. So, but you guys also run an extensive, like, you know, restaurant business too. People forget that, right? You got what outtakes, yo-yos, and a whole bunch of other stuff going on oh. as well. So, and, and those, those things are like, what, like the, the, the uh, there's X scene, right? It's almost like the, the big entertainment place where people just hang out and play arcades and amusements and other things. And that's the rec room. We just launched a, a rec room, the rec room called the Palladium. Um, you know, and, and the asset mix is quite interesting when you look at what we do around a company that we own called Player One Amusement Group and all the arcade gaming that happens. Xscape, Xscape, that's X what it was. You got it, right? And so, and so again, like that's part of the interesting challenge and why it's so um, such a great opportunity is because as you can imagine, the architecture of how all these pieces fit together when I think and put my traditional IT hat on um, is, 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 a, is a very interesting conundrum, Ray, as you can imagine. So, so let's switch gears a little, right? Congratulations, yeah. Cineplex sounds like it's gonna be awesome. Sounds like you're gonna be there for another 10 years, like pioneering, forging through, uh, you know, Mount Everest and back. Uh, but Let's talk about the tech scene and startup scene in Toronto. I mean, Toronto has become an AI capital. It's become a startup hub. I mean, the money's pouring in. Startup investors are coming all over the place. What's it really like? Because we're hearing all about, hey, got to come to Toronto, got to come to Toronto. Um, what's the reality? Um, the reality is a lot of what you described. And so we spoke, I think, even last time we were on the show about the boom that is the AI community in the city. And I think the biggest change that we're seeing um, is the corporate money from the U.S. that's coming to Toronto. Uh, and what we're also seeing is a bunch of really entrenched um, Canadian companies like Shopify making big investments in the city as well. So the billions of dollars of corporate, uh, of corporate money that are being poured in um, to engineering labs like Uber and Facebook, what Microsoft is doing, relocating their office downtown, obviously what's happening with the Googles and the Amazons of the world. So even though we didn't win HQ 
2022. There's still a big Amazon investment that's happening in the city. So to be honest with you, it's, it's polarized a bunch of people, right? Everybody's worried about Canadian IP, the brain drain to the US and this idea of like the satellite office in Toronto. And it's also driving um, the, the rates for talent through the roof because you've obviously seen um, some of the some of the articles out there about like you know the loaded cost of a Canadian engineer in American dollars versus someone in Seattle, Boston, or San Francisco is like a, a light years apart. Take um, your pay in US dollars. Take your pay in US dollars. Exchange rates right? are great. So, <laughs> it's only further exacerbating the talent issues that we face um, in the city and the shortage of people when it comes to machine learning experts, cybersecurity experts. We don't have uh, any different challenges than any big major US city. Uh, but it's quite acute considering the dollars that are being poured in. Um, and what you're seeing, I think the city's about six and a half, seven million people now. I think we're bigger than Chicago, Ray. Um, and what's happening is that's only going to grow at, at a crazier pace over the next 20 to 30 years. Uh, the brain drain is really coming from Waterloo. They're going east. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. So. Yeah, I just, I just had a great conversation with a, uh, a Canadian company, too, and talking about their their fear on this brain drain because it really is true it's just they go across the border and and the pay is on a different scale so but i think that that will that will change well as you guys know it's been, been a bit interesting for you guys down there over the last few years so we've actually been seeing an oh, yeah. um come the other way for for obvious reasons which hasn't been unhelpful at all for guys like me and and the team who have been trying to hire great technical talent like my head of architecture in a former life came back from the yeah. valley and we're seeing you yeah. know uh conversations now with people that are coming back from the states who want to either come to canada or come back home um, and that's creating actually a pretty positive influx of talent, but that doesn't mean it's that's still awesome. not hyper competitive to land the right people. Wow, yeah, crazy. for sure. Well, speaking of talent, Sean, you know, you, you don't get to where you are without some great mentors, without, without some help along the way. Um, who are some of your mentors and, and what are some learnings that you have that you can share with future CDOs that are watching or listening to the show today? You know, I had, a, I had a great opportunity when I got into um, the telco about 20 years ago to spend time with some great industry veterans. I made some pretty smart, conscious decisions not to click with the younger crowd, but actually ran as fast as I could to the, to the old school service design team, to the guys who built networks and spent a lot of time really, you know, um, doing everything I could like a sponge to extract as much learnings as I possibly could. And there are certain people along the way um, that stand out, whether it's a gentleman by the name of David Neal, who was very instrumental in my career, um, someone by the name of Jonah Talley, who was quite instrumental in my career. So I just had this great opportunity to be surrounded by either very brilliant technologists and, innovator and innovators, or just great leaders and people who know how to breed other leaders, how to grow great talent, um, how to not necessarily give you the answer, but help you find out the answer for yourself. And I've just been really lucky. And some of that was me hunting for it though. Like it didn't come to me. I had to go after it and get it. And we spend a lot of time even talking to our teams about career opportunities and how, you know, our job as leaders is to create an environment that enables your success, but I can't own your career for you. I, I can right. help. And so I think I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a poster child for just going after it and being a connector and, and building those networks. But guys like Dave and Joe have been quite instrumental in my journey. This is amazing. Well, hey, you know, awesome. this is part of the learning, right? Really learning, you know, how to find the right talent, how to learn from people from different generations, and and especially there's a lot of corporate knowledge that often gets lost. Like people don't don't look back to say, hey, well, what should we learn? 
So this is amazing. Hey, Sean, thanks for sharing your insights. We're here with Sean Mandel, Chief Digital and Technology Officer at Cineplex. But more importantly, one of the few people that have won the Business Transformation 150 Award twice in the inaugural 2018 and 2020. So we'll see you here in Half Moon Bay at the Ritz. So, all right, thanks a lot for being on the show. You can follow Sean on Twitter at SeanMandel09 uh, for very interesting insights on what's happening in Toronto in terms of the startup world and of course, Chief Digital Officer's musings and thinkings. So thanks a lot, Sean. Thanks, Ray, Cindy. Yeah. Have a You're great such day. a pioneer, Sean. Have fun at your new role. Love it. <laughs> see, really see, love see. Having you. So, <laughs> wow. Okay, so now I get to roast you. <laughs> I, I transitioned from guest, to, first of all, no one can replace Vala. So I'm really honored to be here in his place. Uh, and so I hope I, I do him justice. But uh, yeah, no, this is fun. Now we get to gab a little bit. We do. We've known each other for a long time. Cindy is the <laughs> MO of Level Access. Um, this is a very, very important firm. It's really talking about digital accessibility solutions that are out there. Uh, and more yeah. importantly, you know, she drives the marketing, the inside sales, the sales enabled initiatives. She takes all the stuff that she learned from Constellation and way, 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 way before that. Um, <laughs> coverage areas. She's got 18 years of experience really in corporate marketing, product marketing, uh, product management and sales ops. Uh, and basically she's done a lot of transformation in companies from uh, back office to IBM to mTaurus, Rivermind, uh, two startups that got acquired and MCI. So very, very exciting. So, um, so you can follow Cindy Bye. on Twitter at Cindy underscore Z-H-O-U. Uh, but more importantly, I'm going to jump in and really talk about some of the things that are on your mind. Um, you're last on our show on November 16th, so it's been a little bit of time. So tell us. Well, has it really? Oh, yeah. gosh, time flies. Well, at least Aubrey tells us, and Aubrey keeps the show running. So, <laughs> Aubrey you know, does. Keeps us honest. She keeps us honest. So look, what's happening on the B2B market for B2B marketers? What's shifted, right? Are we still like, is it all email marketing still, right? Have we moved on, right? What's, what's going on? So... You know, I got to tell you, right, there's definitely a very big divide between theory and best practice and what you should be doing and really what you're seeing in reality. You know, change is not easy. Change is inherently, you, you know what you have to do. B2B marketing, we hear a lot about account-based marketing, right? I wrote a paper about account-based strategy. Um, it is something that companies are now really embracing, but they're in varying stages. So I talked to a lot of different CMOs here in DC, Bay Area, et cetera, and everybody knows inherently like these are the things to focus on, you know, marketing KPIs and you know data and all of these things. But I gotta tell you, right now, the hottest thing that we're all struggling with is data privacy. That's why I brought it up with the two professors in the first segment. The, the issue really is we've got the California Consumer Privacy Act coming into play in January, GDPR, and marketing, particularly email marketing, anything digital, we have to be very, very careful about how we handle these requests and making sure there's great consent. And so even just speaking for myself as a CMO here at Level Access, that, that is something I partner very, very closely with our head of info security, and we have to get these things taken care of. So it is one of those things where it, it doesn't sound super exciting, but it's such a necessary topic. And I will be blogging about this very, very soon where, you know, it's not very clear, right? It's a consumer privacy act. How does it apply to B2B? You know, if your company that you work for is headquartered in, let's say, uh, Portland and Oregon, but you are a person who happens to live in California, do I treat you differently? 
than if you were a company headquartered in California and you were an employee living in California. So there's a lot of these little nuances that, um, that you know, as, as we kind of develop as marketers, we're trying to figure out too. And so I, I think that there definitely is a, a very big need to kind of clarify this and some help and assistance for marketers in navigating this problem. I know. I mean, it's every time a regulatory framework pops in, whether it's GDPR and now CCPA, I mean, these things are still still getting in the way of doing real marketing. It's, it's, it's great. <laughs> it right? You want to do real projects and now they're stuck with another regulatory requirement from someone. And it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, but, but I understand the need for privacy. It's almost as if we need like a, ma a consent management system where people just say, look, I'm going to register my consent. Here's what I'm in on. And then, you know, if you meet any of these categories, fine, reach me. If you really want to reach me, pay me. If you don't want to reach me at all, right? Or if you don't want me ever not to do business with you, though, don't make me mad at you. I mean, something like that's got to happen. So. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the, a lot of the marketing automation vendors are getting really good at this too. I remember many of them I worked with at Constellation. They are building in a lot more processes for privacy and consent management. And I also love the ideas that both Nicholas and, and Christian talked about in the first segment. You know, it is the not just a, hey, let me get to a consent form and I get to check, you know, email me once a week, email me once a month. It's what's in it for me. Stay subscribed. You get X. This is what you'll learn. I feel like that value articulation needs to get better. You know, and so that, that's something that I'm going to take away and think about with my team and strategize on, ooh, how do we make this consent process better so that we can hold on to our subscribers and our customers, you know, so that they want to continue to get our, our you know, not, I don't want to even call it marketing. It's just great engagement campaigns and information that can help them. Uh, yeah, and the value exchange, right? That's the part you're talking about. Sometimes yeah. that value exchange is monetary. What's into it for me? Maybe I got a discount, maybe I can refer a friend. Sometimes it's non-monetary, right? It's like status, right? You get something, you get a favor done for you out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's just, you know, consensus. Let's agree on something. Let's go do something together, right? right? And I think people are forgetting 100%. that value exchange component everywhere. Uh, and, and that's kind of driving it. But let's switch a little bit, right? What's going on for the need for human touch? We're seeing this pop up again, right? All these digital mm -hmm, things, mm -hmm. digital channels. Yeah. And the highest open yeah. rate for any marketing campaign is the FedEx one. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is so true. I gotta tell you, direct mail works. Direct mail okay. is still doing better than email I'm, marketing. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, we are just, we are inundated. We are bombarded. Uh, really marketers today. And, and also, you know, I say this now coming from the practitioner side, because it's always easier to say it than to actually do it. But your copy, it's got to matter in your digital campaigns, you know, your ads that you're running, you can't come at it from your perspective. Try to get a customer council together to help you at least review some of these things, give you ideas and thoughts. You can gamify it, make it really interesting for them to be a part of it. They get special access to different things at the company, but you got to get to the point where it's relevancy. You know, it's sort of the, again, earlier going back to what's in it for me? Why should I care? Why do I need to continue to get your emails? Right. But because there's so much digital and there's so many emails, retargeting ads, you name it, it it's gotten to the point now where I, I, I pay attention when I get a box and, and it's a <laughs> very beautiful direct mailer and, you know, and, and it works. So depending on the audience that you want to target, again, very much use an account-based strategy on this one, go direct mail. But also in addition to that, there's a whole slew of technology now where it builds in 
sales cadences. You know, these are the sales lofts, the outreaches of the world. And so from that perspective, you keep that human element and that human touch where it builds into cadences. And so maybe today you're sending an email and tomorrow they suggest you call them at a certain time. You know, it, it's, it, there's these things where it's become a orchestrated experience. And, uh, and I definitely say that, that that is something that companies should definitely continue to, to look at too. Well, you know, we're seeing this, and I, I was joking about this in the past, but as a few people have actually started to do this, right? I mean, look, it, this is B2B marketing. Like, it's not like you don't know who you're selling to, right? <laughs> I mean, there's like 2,000 companies you're going after. There's only like 500 you're going to pay attention. Let's say there's five, maybe seven influencers on the deal. Do you not know who your 3,500 people are? Come on. Yeah, you know, you know, Ray, you would think, right? Because, um, so I, uh, I'll, I'll challenge you on that one a little bit. So that is true. If you have a very well-defined TAM, the other part of the equation is you may know the customer, the accounts that you want to get into, but to find the people, finding information on how to reach them, that is a whole nother set of technology plus some human element. And also let's face it here, majority of companies, I can tell you most of, no one will raise their hand when you say, my CRM data, I'm on my customers, is clean. No one will raise their hand. There's always stuff to think about. Yeah. Look, if you got 3,500 target accounts and you got 50 reps, right? I mean, you're, I mean, you're telling them, look, you've got 700 accounts under management, right? Right? I mean, you, you basically have to go after those accounts. Right, but you should know who you're going after. I mean, this is like yeah, crazy. for sure. That's why right. once like you track down their names, right? Important. Yeah. Like you don't have to spend this much on this stuff. This drives me nuts. You could get a pre-fee dinner in Indianapolis at a Michelin star restaurant for $149, including wine. That's, yeah, but you're, you're missing one element. This is this is coming from I, know, I, know. You know, I used to be it. in the procurement world. CPLs will say you can't go to that dinner. You can't you can't take any gifts above you know, $50, right? We have a lot of customers on that too. It's say, hey, I can't accept anything above a certain that's amount. True. So, but I'm with you. So that's what I mean. There, there is the inherently, you know, what needs to happen. And then you run into a lot of roadblocks and challenges. And so really just getting focused. You got to just tackle these roadblocks one by one and knock them out. And then you can start to make a lot of progress. And so I definitely, you know, tell other marketers too, it's the don't feel like you need to boil the ocean right away. Take it a step at a time. Break it down into micro tasks. Get your team focused on one thing at a time, and then you can actually get a lot accomplished. Now, you're one of the founding members of the uh, Sales Enablement Society, and, and you've been spending a lot of time there in the past. What's working in three? What's working in reality? Yeah, you know, so so sales enablement, I, I'm so impressed. Very different than and, marketing. And really, very different than marketing. Very, very much so. Very much so. And um, and really, I, uh, I I really applaud Scott Santucci for getting, you know, the 16 of us together. And now it's it's amazing. It's like 7,000 members on on LinkedIn. The the function of sales enablement has gone from what is sales enablement? Is it training? Is it uh, is it HR? You know, is it the recruiting side of the house? Um, is it product marketing? And many times, you know, sort of the launches that go to market. And and now, my gosh, you can find a ton of job postings with sales enablement within the title. That was I a think title the, that the didn't exist like eight years ago. Did not, did not. I wouldn't even say eight years ago. I would say even going back three years ago. And now you see it more and more and more. And, and in some way, I do feel like uh, the society has done just so much great work in promoting this, this concept and also this particular title. So what needs to work 
is that for it to work in sales, you have to have an owner. I will tell every company out there, you, you can't just say, well, I'm going to stick it in marketing. I'm going to stick it in. No, you have to have an owner for this and someone who drives it across different teams. And so I think every company can do this better. And I am by no means saying that we're perfect here on this one, but we're certainly making strides into that area because first identify what are all the elements of it, right? You got to start from the, the onboarding recruiting side, you know, of sales enablement. How do you, how do you make sure they have a great onboarding experience? Then you got to go into, you know, training development. How do you make sure that you're building reps for success? And then it's the marketing enablement too. So you got to combine all of these elements together and give it an owner. Somebody owns it. Soup to nuts, cross department. Yeah, no, no, and and this is part of the this is part of the interesting challenge that everybody has, right? It's that onboarding piece. People think it's easy. I mean, onboarding sales. Oh my God, that's probably one of the <laughs> hardest things a company can do. So, yeah, particularly if you have a lot of products, a lot of segments, and you know some of these companies, I mean, you have to get them really, really focused. And and uh, that part is, uh, you know, it's a lot of information. I mean, all of us, it's, it's hard to absorb that much at one time. Well, let's jump into why you joined Level Access. I mean, really that issue yeah. around digital accessibility. Where are we in the state of digital accessibility? Like on a scale of one to 10, are we sitting at a two, a five, a seven in terms of how well people made things accessible? Yeah, you know, I, I think that the, here's the challenge. And this is one of the reasons why I joined the company and I wanted to take this on because it is very rare to have a company that blends great technology with great social purpose. And our company is at the forefront of creating experiences for our customers to serve their end customer, we're B2B, uh, to ensure that they have a equal access and web technology experience, whether it's on your website, on your mobile app. You know, we are so dependent on technology today. I can't imagine it just with my schedule. I don't have time to go out and shopping. I'm doing all e-commerce, right? And, and think about 20% of the population are people with disabilities. Then you layer on everyone with, from the aging population and how rapidly people are aging. You know, we've got baby boomers now, et cetera. It's, they have dexterity challenges. They have vision challenges. And so we really are here to make sure that we help these companies make their digital properties accessible. So, right to answer your question on a scale of one to 10, kind of how broad is the awareness of this? It's, it's, still, it's still low. You know, it depends. Wow. Certain industries, if, you're, if you have to do this for compliance, they're definitely more aware of it, but it's still nebulous on what do I need to do? And I think that that's the challenge. There's a lot more lawsuits going on, but in addition to that, there's more conversation around diversity and inclusion. If companies come out and say, we want to be a company that cares about diversity and inclusion, and yet you don't make your internal HR systems, et cetera, accessible for applicants to apply, your employees to utilize, you are not accessible. You are not living those values. And so it's really, really interesting now. We're seeing more companies uh, that are, you know, still lawsuits drive a, a good amount of it. But now more and more so, it's the, hey, you know, we, we want to deliver not only great customer experiences, but employee experiences. Wow. Hey, you got a great point here. Look, if you got a DNI initiative, diversity inclusion initiative, and you're not backing it up with accessibility, you're mm -hmm. missing the point, right? I mean, this is, yep. this is what you're talking about. I mean, it's like, dude, you got to back it up. If you don't have this, um, you know, how do people get it? How do people participate? You're like not being inclusive. So 
Hey, you got uh, exactly. Greece from Sotris. Uh, and hello from Andrew Nevis. He's like, human touch is oh, critical. That should help us get back to the person. So, but you're going to be a CCE anyways. So, hey, I'm going to switch gears <laughs> yeah. on you too again. What is going on with the startup scene in D.C.? You've been there for, I mean, yeah. there all your life. You're My whole life. Native, actually. <laughs> so you're you're right. DC, Maryland, Virginia. I said Dharma. What is it? DCMV? Yeah. DMV. You're a Navy. You're a Navy. DMV. DMV. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I am a Washingtonian, na native girl here. Uh, no, I will say it's actually really, really exciting. Let's think about this, right? Amazon Ooh, shows Amazon Arlington. Up, uh, <laughs> I know, I saw it. I, I yeah, saw right? it like they, this when uh, like Virginia was talking about it. Yeah, DC, DC, exactly. We want it. Uh, so, so Arlington, Virginia, right? The HQ2, uh, actually recently in the news, AWS just leased some two you know, new buildings over in Herndon. They're building out here. Um, there is a great website that um, that I follow a lot called DC Inno. It's it's the uh, media site, and they actually stated that in August alone, DC area companies attracted 172 million in funding. That's wow. just one month. 172 so, so, million in funding is huge here. Yeah, yeah, we are we are hot as can be. If you think about certain industries like cybersecurity, um, obviously a lot of good tech. There's also even some great uh, consumer companies out here like right now the nitro cold brew is a huge thing oh, yeah. and I love it there's a company called Commonwealth Joe you know very hot company in this area too uh, you know uh, cybersecurity Hawkeye 360 uh, there's just so fiscal notes is another one in the fintech space there's so many so many great great companies I obviously I consider us one of them we were a DCNO coolest company 50 on fire uh, and we're doing really great stuff not only in tech but in social you guys so one of those things where awards you guys have been racking some awards. So, we're, doing we're doing okay we're doing okay yeah red herring inc five thousand six times uh you know cody award for uh, a finalist we didn't win but for best compliance yeah so no it's been it's been really exciting time especially for a marketer like me who's like oh i love i just love this it's just it's too fun any chance you'll come back to be an analyst? Everyone's yelling, everyone's hanging <laughs> me in the water cooler right now. It's like, when's Cindy coming back? Oh, I gotta tell you, there's a, my heart, I have a, a por portion of this that was, has never left Constellation, which is why you and I still chat all the time and, and I want to, and I'm still part of the, the, uh, the Orbit uh, network. And that's why I want to blog about this CC uh, PA and how, how does this kind of impact marketers too. And I'll make sure we get that on Constellation's blog. And so, Ray, I, I would say that, you know, a hard a part of me is always out there. I want to keep looking at the big picture and seeing what else is out there in the market. Because not only do I think it helps me and my team, uh, but it also helps so many other companies. And so I want to continue to do that. As long as I'm helpful, I will keep doing that. Oh, no, no. This is, this is amazing. So, all right. Well, Cindy, thank you for those insights. Um, we're going to close out the show. But, Cindy, you can follow Cindy Zoe. She is the CMO at Level Access former Constellation analyst. And of course, you can follow on Twitter at Cindy underscore Z-H-O-U. Um, we're going to have a very exciting show next week. Next week, we actually yeah. on episode number 163. Now, check this, Cindy. You're going to love this. Manny Medina, CEO of Outreach. Guy Marion, oh, co-founder of Brightback. And Nicole France, who's covering our, uh, she's our VP and principal analyst covering these awesome, technologies. Awesome, Nicole. So, so yeah, so Nicole will be on. So follow our recordings on iTunes, SoundCloud, Vimeo, YouTube, and on radio stations coast to coast. Can you believe we are actually coast to coast on these radio stations? And I did not know that. 
That's yes, awesome. we are. I'll explain that to you later. <laughs> one <laughs> of the most great. interesting arbitrage plays I've seen on radio. It is amazing. And it allows you to actually create a coast-to-coast -coast network video. So, all right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for being on the show. Thank mm -hmm. you.